Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We are continuing our series uh, through the life of David. And we are looking at David, who is one of the heroes in Scripture. He is one of the most famous Bible characters in the whole Bible. And he is, uh, and he is a man that the New Testament uh, would call a man after God's own heart. That David was a man that lived in such a way that he glorified and honored God so much that he was a man after God's own heart. David was the second king of the nation of Israel and uh, uh, following King Saul. And so far we've been looking at his life and his life has been pretty interesting. It begins the way that we are introduced to him, a a king anointing party that all of his family was invited to apart from him. He wasn't invited by his dad, but he was actually the one who was to be anointed king. So he was out with the sheep, and we learned that David was good with being alone with God. And then David was, again, not invited to the battlefield this time. When his family was there, he comes with an assortment of cheeses, like all good little brothers. They just come bringing gifts. And uh, comes to the battlefield and slays Goliath and has great faith amongst great opposition. And then we, we saw that as he was anointed king, before he became king, he was appointed as the chief musician in the palace of the king. He is best friends with Jonathan, who is the son of the king. He marries the daughter of the king. But then some great difficulty comes up in David's life when Saul, the king of Israel, his father-in-law, the father of his best friend, uh, decides that he wants to kill David. And in a moment, David's whole life changes. All the fame and all of the comfort and the family and the friends that he once had, now he can no longer be with. So it sends him running off. Last week, we looked at where David went when he was afraid. First, he runs straight into the Philistines' camp, who is uh, public enemy number one. It is the greatest enemy of the Israelites, and David runs in. Before he goes to the Philistines, he stops at the tabernacle and asks for a sword. The sword that they give him is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine who David killed. So he goes carrying the sword of the enemy, and everyone is like, what? on earth are you doing? And then he acts crazy. And he's screaming and yelling. There's uh, drool going down his beard. And the, the leader of the Philistines goes, what, what, what do I need another madman for? Get out of here. And so it sends David off running again. So where we uh, meet up with David, he is on the run from not only King Saul, but also the Philistines, uh, but primarily Saul, who is trying to Find him to kill him, and so it sends David running here. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, it says this. David, therefore, departed from there, meaning uh, the land of the Philistines, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone say Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down to him, and everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. 
That's what we're going to look at this evening. Uh, If you would, close your eyes and we're going to pray together. Lord God, I pray that you just fill this place. Lord, I pray that your presence would would come upon this place and would fill our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, Lord, that you would be speaking to us. Lord, we don't want to sit through another class. We don't want to sit through uh, just a long monologue. Lord, we want to be here in your presence. Lord, help us to set aside distractions or things that would take our mind or our heart away from you, Lord, and be the center of attention here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, Julianne was teaching at, my wife Julianne, give it up for Julianne, everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, She was teaching at the uh, women's Bible study that we hear, have here at Calvary Chapel that meets uh, Tuesday nights and Wednesdays. And uh, she, was, she was teaching there. I usually don't go uh, because it's the women's Bible study, you know what I mean? But Julianne was teaching, and I wanted to be there and support her. And so uh, I was there. I was sitting in the back. It was a pretty small uh, group of ladies, like 50 people. And uh, I was sitting there listening to Julianne, and all of a sudden, uh, there was just like loud noise happening in the courtyard of the church. It sounded like screaming or something like that. So a bunch of very brave older ladies got up from the back row to go investigate. So they get up, and they're like, oh, what's all that racket, you know? And so so they go out, and I followed them because I was kind of curious So we walk out of the back of the sanctuary into the lobby, and in the courtyard, there's a man having some sort of altercation with a police officer. So they're screaming back and forth, and uh, so I go up, and I say to the ladies, like, hey, I think the officer's got everything taken care of. Uh, Why don't we just go back into the sanctuary and finish the Bible study, and everything would be fine. So we walk in, and I close the, the doors to the back of the, into the lobby, and I'm, and I'm standing about three feet away from one of the back doors of the lobby, and all of a sudden, the yelling gets really loud and really close, and then all of a sudden, coming barging through the back door of the lobby is a man who is running through, and then all of a sudden, falls down onto the ground, and is screaming and yelling and getting tased by the police officer. And so I'm like kind of shocked and the officer comes up and all of a sudden uh, two officers and my grandfather grab the man by his ankles and drag him on his belly into the lobby and closes the door of the lobby. And as I'm confused looking at what's, what's happening, I look up and all of those 50 women that were in the church are just gone. Not a single person is sitting in the seats of the sanctuary. Now, there's probably about eight people, maybe six people, that just left. Out the exit, we found a shoe left behind, we found two purses, and they were just gone. There's probably about maybe seven or nine people that ran and hid in the backstage room, in the green room, and there was probably a group of about 30 women that just ran into the corner. They just got up and they ran. And one of them's like, oh my gosh, they're going to start shooting him. And we're like, hey, no, probably not. And so it was just this, this frantic, crazy moment. And, and as I was sitting there, I was just laughing to myself. What does it say about these people where they went when this moment happened? 
Like, I, I don't have an answer for you, but what does it say about those people that left their shoes and left their purse and just ran out to the parking lot? Like, what kind of people are those? You know what I mean? And what kind of people are the ones that just, just go to this, this secret room in the back that only a couple of people in the church even know about, and they're hiding, you know, there's a fridge back there, maybe they're eating snacks. Or what does it say about the person that runs into the corner of the sanctuary where there's no exit and nothing happening, but that's just where everybody else went, and now they're going to start screaming and yelling that maybe the situation's going to get worse. You know, what does it say about these people? Because I think our hiding places says a lot about who we are. Now, I don't have an answer for what kind of people these people are, but, but I think where we go and where we hide when a situation gets difficult or when a life gets hard, I think it says a lot about our character and who we are. Where we go when life gets tough really shows who we are. And so my question for you this evening is what is your hiding place? What is your hiding place? Where do you run to when, when there's a moment that is difficult? What is, what is your hiding place when life gets hard? What is your hiding place when, when things don't go according to plan? Where is your hiding place when, when the situation gets too tough for you to handle on your own? Where is your hiding place? For David, his hiding place, uh, first we looked at where, last week, uh, where to go when you're afraid. And David went to all sorts of places. But, but here we see that he runs to the cave of Adullam. Now that word Adullam in Hebrew, which is the language that this book of the Bible was originally written in, it, it means a cave of refuge or a cave of hiding or a cave of hiding place. And David, he runs to this cave, and as he's there, he's met by a group of people that's a little odd. We're told in verse 2 that everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And so David became the captain over them, and there was 400 men with him. So David, he's this man who is on the run from his father-in-law, who is his king, who is also his best friend's dad, who's trying to kill him. He's also uh, kind of rustled feathers with some of the surrounding countries, and they want to kill him. And so he is driven out of his comfort, out of his home, out of his kingdom, out of his land, into this cave. And while he's there, he's met with like the island of misfit toys. This group of guys that are, that are uh, distressed, in debt, and discontent. They come and meet with them. And, and, and reading this story, I, I really feel like we are a lot like these people, whether we know it or not. We are in distress, in debt, Discontented. Now, these people, they are in distress because there are enemies surrounding Israel on all sides. There's nations surrounding Israel on all sides, and all of those nations want Israel. If you read through the history of Israel, there is nonstop fighting for their entire history. 
They fight the, the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Philistines and the Amorites and the Amalekites. And all of these people that are trying to fight and conquer Israel, they are constantly at war. The king of Israel is kind of crazy. He's given up his entire life trying to kill his son-in-law. So they are worried about their enemies and they're worried about their own nation's political power and the people who are raised up there. So these people, they're in distress. And it says that they're in debt. In the beginning of 1 Samuel, the nation of Israel, they're asking uh, God for a king. And the prophet comes to him and says, if you have a king, he's going to take a tenth of your land, a tenth of your harvest. He's going to take your, your sons and your daughters and put them in his military and make them serve in his temple. And so that's exactly what happens when Saul becomes king. Taxes are raised and people are out of money. They are in debt and they're afraid. They were discontent. There was a huge divide in the kingdom of Israel because of David and Saul. Some people wanted Saul to stay king and were loyal to him. And some people were singing the song, Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. There was a divide amongst the people relationally. They were distressed, in debt, and discontent. Here in America, about 78% of people deal with overwhelming anxiety. 38% deal with anxiety disorder or chronic anxiety. In a study done in 20, 2022, 72% of Americans have severe symptoms of depression. And 53% of people have, have a poor mental health status. About 40% of students are so overwhelmed by stress, it causes them to skip meals, impacting their mental, mental and physical health. In 2020, suicide was the 12th leading cause of death in the United States. There was 45,000 people who died to their own hand and 1.2 million people who attempted. I think we're distressed. 80% of America has uh, of Americans have what's called consumer debt, averaging nearly $40,000 worth of debt. That is apart from medical bills, student loans, and mortgages. America's in debt. Nearly 50% of marriages end in divorce, and 1 in 20 American adults have been married three or more times. I think we're discontent. And we, we read this story, we see these people that are running into the cave, and, and we're like, man, these people are down and out, but that's us. We're distressed, we're in debt, and we're discontent. The Bible tells us that, that we are indebted to sin. The Apostle Paul would write that, that we, have, we, are sl we were slaves to sin. That the wages of our sin is death. Peter would say that we were bought, not bought with something perishable, silver and gold. Because silver and gold couldn't pay our debt. But only the blood of Jesus could. We are indebted. We are discontent in relationships and in friendships. That's why Jesus had to tell us three times to love our neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because we're discontent. The word that, the original word that is translated discontent is the word mar, which is bitter. 
and it's a relationship word, that we get bitter towards people, that we have a hard time just being with people, that we have, have issues in ourselves because we're around people. But the crazy thing about this story is not that there's, there's bitter and indebted and stressed out people that are running to a cave, but it's who they are turned into. And in First uh, Chronicles in chapter 12, this is what we're told about these people that run to David. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Mighty men of valor. Men trained for battle who could handle shield and spear. Whose faces were like the face of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. There's a, a, another passage in 2 Samuel that it, it gives a list of all these mighty men that served alongside David. And they were the ones that came distressed, in debt, and discontented, but they came running to the cave. They came running to the hiding place. So how is it that a, a person who is distressed and discontent and indebted could become a mighty man of valor for the kingdom of God? Well, the missing piece between the two is what happens in the cave. The missing link between being someone who is indebted and distressed into a mighty warrior for the kingdom of God is what, it, what happens in the cave. David, in this story, he serves as what's called a Christ type. In the Old Testament, we could read stories, and, and the characters in the stories, they exemplify the character of Jesus. And, and David, in this story, he exemplifies a characteristic of Jesus. It says that all of these people that are down and out, suffering difficulty, going through hard times, they come to David, and David becomes the captain over him. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a similar story where Jesus is sitting down at a house, at a table, and, and uh, Pharisees come up to him, and they ask him a question. Look at this, Matthew 9, verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. One of the main characteristics of Jesus is that he doesn't need you to be perfect before you come to him. I think we have a misconception of, of who Jesus is, that we need to clean up our own life before we bother him with our problems. We feel like, like man, I'm, I'm too stressed out. I am too anxious. I'm too depressed. I, I'm, too, I'm so in debt. Like, I've been listening to Dave Ramsey, and I'm still in debt. It's a joke for like eight of you guys, but I'm going to make it anyways. And then, and we're like, I, I just need to clean up my act, and then I'll, I'll really come to God. Like, I just have some sin in my life that I keep struggling with. That is a, a difficulty for me. Once I overcome that sin, then I'll come to God and really be surrendered for him. Once I get this, this out of my life, or once I overcome this, or what I, once I get better at this, then I'll be serious about my relationship with God because I, I don't think God can be bothered with me yet. 
Like, I'll, I'll clean myself up and be a little more presentable, and then I'll come to God, and God will do something in me, and God will use me. Like, I know he will, but I just have some work to do beforehand. Jesus, he associates himself with tax collectors, people who are disgraced by their society and sinners who are looked down upon. And Jesus is sitting at a table eating with them because he didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And as I I said before, I think we all are suffering from a sickness, whether whether it's fear and worry or sadness or, or, or suicidal thoughts or ideation, or, or it's just our sin that, that we all struggle with. Whatever it is that we're dealing with, we are sick and we are in desperate need of a physician. And Jesus is that person. And David, he exemplifies that character of Jesus in the cave. Because David is the one that becomes captain over these people and turns them into mighty men of valor. Because people who are surrendered to God, they become restored by God. God is in the business of restoring people when they come to him with their disease. God actually wants you to come to him with all your imperfections, all your insecurities, all of your sinfulness, all of your brokenness, because he is willing and able to change you from the inside out. That's the message of the gospel. God restoring and saving broken people. Your problems aren't too big, too bad, or too broken for God to redeem you. We just need to come in all of our brokenness, in all of our insecurity, in all of our our bad circumstances. We need to go to God. Look at what David does in the cave. Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 were both psalms of David that were written as he was in this hiding place. Look what he says, Psalm 57 verse 1. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Psalm 142 verse 4 says this, Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. My refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. But I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David physically, he runs to the cave of Adullam. He runs to the cave of refuge. He runs to a hiding place. But here he confesses that his true hiding place is in the presence of God. He says, my refuge, my cave has failed me. The comforts of my life has failed me. My relationships have failed me. My father-in-law has failed me. My family has failed me, but you, Lord, are my refuge. We see when when the difficulties come in David's life, his hiding place is in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, we see our our ashes turn to beauty. We we see our anxieties turn to peace. Peace. We, we give God our, our sorrow and he gives us joy in return. But we need to be serious about seeking the presence of God. 
It's not just a thing that we do on Thursday nights or Sunday mornings. It's a thing that we live for. David was a person who lived for the presence of God. He desired the presence of God. He gave God access to every bit of his heart. There's another psalm that David would write after he makes a horrible mistake. And he says, search me, O God. Know me. Lord, I give you my anxious thoughts. I give you all of me. And we need to be like David who takes refuge in the presence of God and is serious about the presence of God. Say, Lord, search me and know me. You can have all of me. All of my brokenness, Lord, I surrender to you. Then we see that that these people, they run to David. Now, the the group of 400 people, they were probably running to David as their refuge. David was this prominent leader in Israel. He was this powerful man. He was also uh, very godly and a great, great leader. He was a military leader in Israel. And so these people that were in distress, in debt, And discontented, I'm sure they were running to where David was because they thought David could help. And when they they show up to David, they find that David was actually seeking refuge in the presence of God. And when they ran to David, David led them to God's presence. And I think so often we try to handle our hard situations on our own. I think that we... We feel embarrassed when we're going through something. We feel awkward when we try to communicate what's going on. And so we hesitate to go to people that could actually help. So we go to, we go to people, we post like nonsensical black Snapchats with just text, like, man, it's going through a lot right now. And, and we, we fail to actually go to people who have the desire and the ability to help us. If you guys are taking notes right now, I I just want you guys to think of some people and and write it in your notes that that can be there for you when you're going through a hard time. Maybe just, just, if you want to think about it for the rest of the Bible study, feel free. But just write down some people that when I am in distress, in debt, and discontented, I'm going to run to this person because I know that they can help me and lead me to the presence of God. And if you can't think of anyone, Nate, Hannah, myself, Julianne, write all of us on that list because we're there for you. David was a person that people looked to when, when life was hard and they ran to him. They ran to David because I don't know what's going on in my life, but I think David might be able to help. And we need to have people who are who not our refuge in the sense of God, but our refuge that will lead us to the presence of God. We need people that, that can come alongside us and encourage us and, 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 and help us through tough situations because we can't do life alone. We were never intended to do life alone. We were never intended to be distressed, discontent, and in debt all by ourselves. The beautiful thing about the church is, is if you look around, it looks a lot like the cave of Adullam. You look around, everyone in the cave was in distress. Everyone in the cave was in debt. Everyone in the cave was discontent. David, he was that person too. And when we look around in our life, I don't need a perfect person to help me. I just need someone that will lead me to God. I need someone that would listen to me and lead me to the presence of God. 
Last thing, uh, the worship team, you guys can come up here as I close. Looking at David, I, I just, he ran to be alone. He ran to find safety in, in this cave. But he, he was willing to be interrupted. David, he, he ran to, the, to this cave to seek protection and to seek safety. And we see in the Psalms that he wrote in the cave that that he was seeking the presence of God, that he was, he was seeking God in prayer. He was praising God for who he was and, and for what he's done. And, and, and all of the, this stuff that was going on, I just imagine that he's deep in prayer or deep in, in writing a song, and then there's like, knock on the cave door. And he looks and he sees all these people. And they're like, hey, I, I'm Shane. I'm in distress. Oh, me too. Hey, all you distressed people, we're going to go in this corner of the cave. Like 150 people go, I, man, I'm in massive debt. I owe so much money in taxes. Like my credit card debt is up to my eye. I was like, oh, that's great. We're all meeting over here in the cave. It's like, I'm just discontent. I'm on my fourth wife and I don't even like her. And they're like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm over here. One in 20 of them. So whatever that, how many that is. So we, we see all these people, and they come, and, and, and David was seeking God in the cave. But when these people came, David was interruptible. David became captain over him. His priority for go going to the cave was, was to seek refuge for himself. And when these people came, he said, I, I'm going to lead these people. I'm going to become captain over them. My life isn't perfect. Gosh, my life is chaos. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help these people. I'm going to lead them to the presence of God. And I'm going to be a leader over them. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Sometimes we think that our problems, our difficulties in our life, uh, we need to spend all of our time just trying to fix it. And, and we need to be perfect before we have any platform. But God has, is bringing people that, like, I just want to lead these people to God. Like, I'm in distress. Like, David's like, gosh, I'm in debt. Like, my first wife's dad wants to kill me. Like, you know, I'm discontent. But what he, he becomes captain over them and leads them. Yeah, I think it's our natural responses when we become Christians to look down or separate ourselves from people who either don't follow God or just not where we are at in our relationship with God. But our relationship with God should fuel us to lead people out of their despair into the presence of God. The, the, the Hebrew word for inward righteousness and, and the word for outward justice is the same word. I have no idea how to pronounce it. It starts with a T-S. I mean, come on. When Jesus confronts the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke, and he says, you are clean on the outside, but you're not clean on the inside, he's actually pointing out an oxymoron because those words are the same thing. Being clean on the outside and living righteous and being clean on the inside and being righteous, it's the same thing. But somehow I think we've separated the two. We want to be righteous inwardly, but we struggle to live righteous outwardly and to lead people to God. 
David is an example of his inward relationship with God, being surrendered to God in prayer, taking the presence of God seriously, but being interrupted enough to help people and lead people for the kingdom of God. Look, you don't need to fix all of your problems before you grab your neighbor and say, we're going to walk with Jesus together. Like, you don't need to be perfect before you start preaching the gospel. You don't need to be perfect before you start loving your neighbor and loving your enemy or turning your other cheek when someone wrongs you. You don't need to be perfect before you start being the captain over the people that are around you because you are surrendered to Jesus and you know you'll lead them in the direction of God. So I encourage you guys, mend the two. Your inward righteous does not need to to be at, at the lack of our outward righteousness. We need to be committed to living righteous and, and being righteous and being leaders over the people around us. We're not perfect and we don't claim to be. We just want to be people that are leading others further into relationship with God. We're broken. We're in distress. We're in debt, but God loves us anyways. And we need to tell people how much he loves us.